Thank you. Good morning. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. pray again. So Father, as we now turn our hearts and attention to your word, would you help us to see who you are, how you've revealed yourself, and how you're calling us to live today. We thank you for the work that you have started in our lives, the work that you've promised to continue to do in Jesus. And so Lord, you know where we are and what we need we ask that your mercy would meet us in that place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh, an announcement I forgot until I just looked at my notes. There's a youth gathering tonight. If you want any information, see Anthony. So that's tonight. Um, so we're beginning a new series through Proverbs today. We're calling it uh, Learning Wisdom, which is really clever because we're coming off a series in the Psalms that was called Learning Prayer. Um, and so your boy doesn't get any points for originality, but it just seemed like a natural conclusion uh, in direction as we go from Psalms to Proverbs all the way up to Advent, uh, and then we'll continue on in the new year with a new series. But Proverbs is a wonderful and a vexing book. I am in the company uh, that has not been one that reads a Proverbs a proverb a day. You know, there's 31 chapters, and uh, the old saying goes, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. Um, and I have always, I just admit and put my cards on the table, and it's probably because I'm more of a literal type person. I've struggled with proverbs because they're all over the place. And so as we go through this next few weeks, it's somewhat selfish in that I hope to Grant, be granted a greater understanding of the book, um, but also for us, it's something that we, that we need. We need wisdom. And again, Proverbs is a little bit tricky in that one, we are about 2,500 years disconnected from many of the analogies and allegories and sayings in the book. Uh, I know some of you are green thumbs and like to garden, but we are not in an agrarian society anymore. I know many of you love, uh, you know, animals, especially where the stone's at, uh, but none of you own any oxen, and there's plenty of, you know, illustrations and connections to, to oxen. There's this gap of time and situations and circumstances, uh, yet the human condition and the need is the same. We need wisdom. And wisdom, it's been defined in the context of Proverbs of being good at life. Being good at life. And isn't that a universal human hope? That we want to be good, proficient, skilled at this thing called life. We're only given one of these things called a life. 
How do we go about it well? Well, in the next eight weeks, we're going to look at some of the major topics that are in Proverbs. Next week, we're going to look at words, work, money, direction, kids, marriage, friendship, sexuality, all things that Proverbs has something to say. As we enter into this series, there's a quote from Tim Keller that has been on my mind uh, since I read it a few months ago. He says, you've heard of the meat of the word and the milk of the word. It's always funny when somebody leaves a church and they're like, I just wanted the meat of the word. Anyways, that's a side pastoral conversation for another time. Proverbs is the hard candy of the word. You don't just swallow it. You don't just bite into it. You have to let it dissolve very slowly on your tongue. It's the Werther's original, if you will. Something your grandma had a bowl full of that you're like, why? Of all the candies in the Werther, why? It's the hard candy. And so today, here's the direction that we're going. We're going to look at what wisdom is and isn't. We're going to uh, evaluate some core understandings of Proverbs. We are going to see the invitations and warnings and then how Jesus embodies wisdom. Uh, And I purposefully didn't alliterate, but Mike isn't here. He hates alliteration, and he's not even here to enjoy a non-alliterated outline. And so first, what wisdom isn't and what it is. Here's what we often reduce wisdom to and what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not merely knowledge or information. You may win at Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, although I don't know him personally, uh, but you can still stink at life. You can know all the verses of the Bible. You could have won, you know, all the Awana's prizes for memorization, and you could completely shipwreck your life and ruin people around you. Wisdom in the biblical sense is so much more. If you want to put a Hebrew word into your back pocket, it is hokma. Hokma. You can say it, huh? There you go, hokma. It's as wide, that word is as wide as life itself. And you see that in the first few verses that Linda read for us. Derek Kidner, one of my uh, Old Testament heroes, uh, scholar heroes, he says this, the book of Proverbs opens by breaking up the plain daylight of wisdom, Hokman, there's the word, into its rainbow of constituent colors. You see the U because he's British. So here's what wisdom is. All right. To know wisdom instruction, hokma, and instruction. Understand words of insight. And then he, he blows it up. It's receiving instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity. Give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb is saying the words of the wise and their riddles. So in that brief and compact introduction, the writer of Proverbs, the collector of all of these sayings and speeches is saying, we're attempting to give you this one thing that is wisdom, but what wisdom is is so much broader. It is, again, these words, wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence, knowledge, discretion. My childhood church definition of wisdom was simply knowledge rightly applied. So there is a component of information, but it is taking that and implementing it into life. Biblically, it's so much bigger and broader. And maybe the best understanding, I might be going out on a limb here, but 
to better understand it in our terms and in our day and age, we might need to go to Star Wars. Yeah, I knew some of you would like that. And I say it with all affection, nerds. But in the, the Star Wars universe, you have the Force. And the Force has a light side, and the Force has a dark side. It is this unseen energy that affects everyone, this force that is going out. Here's a, a trio of Star Wars quotes for you all. We'll start with Yoda. For my ally is the force, and a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. It ma uh, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Here's Yoda. Han Solo. I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Crazy thing is, it's true. The Force, the Jedi, all of it. And since it's the season of Ahsoka, here's Ahsoka Tano. She says, in my experience, when you think you understand the Force, you realize just how little you know. That may be uh, the closest modern equivalent in at least sci-fi, that speaks about this thing in Scripture that we call wisdom. In Scripture, the wisdom of God is a power in the universe directing humans towards flourishing. And interestingly, the first time that we read that word, chokmah, in Scripture is in Exodus 28. And it's not simply used about a really smart person, but it's used about the artisans and workers who were about to prepare garments and, and work metal for the priesthood. The word in the ESV is skillful. Artisans and craftsmen gifted by God with this wisdom, this hokmah, to make what they needed for, uh, again, the priesthood and tabernacle and all of that. And in Proverbs, it's not so much light side and dark side, but we have two categories of the wise and the foolish. Wisdom requires receiving instruction, receiving instruction, accepting prudence, knowledge, discretion, all of what we saw here in the opening chapter. Learning, understanding, and obtaining from this collection of Proverbs, sayings, words, and riddles, and Proverbs is packed full of them. Whereas... The opposite of wisdom is considered foolishness. Uh, the categories would be simple, fool, scoffer, sluggard, which is one of my favorite Old Testament insults that I used on my brother growing up. We used towards each other. So, you brothers, sluggard, if you want to get biblical with your insults, that's probably not wise, but <laughs> it's there. Here's the structure of the book. In chapters 1 through 9, there are a collection of 10 speeches calling as a father to a son to heed and listen to wisdom. And wisdom is uh, shown as a lady who would call out. So you have those 10 speeches. Then in 10 through 29, you have a collection of all sorts of sayings. And it is seemingly random and hard to get a handle on. And I don't know that one is supposed to get a handle on them. It's just all over the place and something that is to be reflected on and digested. And then in 30 and 31, you have uh, wisdom speeches from Agur and Lemuel that close out the book. So that's what wisdom is and is in, in overall the structure of Proverbs. Here's some core understandings 
of the book. First, we have to understand the genre that it is in Scripture. Uh, Proverbs does not read like Isaiah or Genesis or Exodus. They're, they're different genres. In the Old Testament, you have the law, you have the prophets, and you have the writings. Uh, in under the category of writings, you have wisdom literature that is Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and in some, Psalms and Song of Songs. It's important to know that and rightly understand that because those main three books, Proverbs, Song, uh, Ecclesiastes, and Job's, they balance one another out. And, and this may be the most important thing, in my opinion, at least in my brain, of understanding as we approach the book of Proverbs, that Proverbs isn't alone in its giving of wisdom uh, to its readers, but it's balanced out by Ecclesiastes and Job. Job shows wisdom in how broken the world is and how myopic humans in their understanding and wisdom can be. And you have this opening tragedy and then friends who think they know everything and know nothing of what God is up to. Ecclesiastes is sort of an autobiography in a search for meaning and wisdom in the world. And the refrain throughout that book is Havel. It's all, it's all vanity. It's all air. It's, it's a vapor or smoke. And then Proverbs demonstrates uh, probabilities and trajectories in a life. So that's the genre. And it's important to know that Proverbs uh, is not giving promises. This is the second understanding, but it's acting and giving probabilities. Here's one demonstration of that. Proverbs 22.6. Uh, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. If that's a promise, then I know some of you in this room and many others that I've spoken to really struggle when they point their kids towards Jesus, raise their kids in the church, and all of a sudden adulthood, college, wherever hits, and they go, yeah, not going to have that, and go, and they look at this and go, so either I went wrong or the Bible isn't true. Or Proverbs is giving a probability and not a promise. It's not saying that if you raise your kids in Jesus, if you bring them to church, then, yeah, they're going to go to heaven when they die. Or, yeah, they're going to stick with Jesus all the time. That is a probability. I'm a product of that probability of my mother and my father taking me to church, all of that. But they had four kids, and the trajectory of all of our lives were very different, Right? But what if you take Proverbs 22.6 and you go train up a child in the way they should go and when they're older they won't depart and you couple that with Ecclesiastes that says there's no promise on the outcome of your kids. You can do everything right, I'm paraphrasing Ecclesiastes here, and in the end your kids can be monsters. Or Job that says you may lose your kids to tragedy. If you take all three of them holistically, you begin to see life in this world. So Proverbs says, yeah, train up a child in the way that they should go. And many other Proverbs and sayings around parenting that we'll get into. Ecclesiastes goes, hey, this life has no guarantees. And Job tells us that tragedy may strike at any point in time. 
Or take, for instance, work. Proverbs 10.15. It says this. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. And so, how many of us know people that are wealthy, that have a lot of possessions? And you go, hey, that protects them. That provides some safety, some security. And without that, people can be ruined in poverty. You go, okay, great. But if you treat that like a promise, what do you do with Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12 that says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Is the Bible contradicting itself? No. It's just giving a holistic picture through various aspects and approaches to wisdom. And then you have Job, who, if you know the story, had all the riches and the wealth and everything, and then, like that, it's taken away. So we need to see life through the lens of each, that they balance and complement and help us have a fuller understanding of following God in his world. We need them all. And then the final understanding of Proverbs and wisdom as a whole is that the production of wisdom begins with a posture of the heart. The production of wisdom begins with a posture of the heart. And that posture is this, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is where we all have to stand and look in the mirror and go, how are we going to go about the good life or becoming good at life? How are we going to search out and accumulate wisdom in life? Because every single human is going for that. But often, and especially in our time, the production of wisdom is found in just simply gathering people like us. Voices that we like or hear that may agree with us. And we kind of build uh, a corral and we attract and, and glean and pull in all the podcasts or preachers or writers or influencers that we like that version of living. And so often, we're not looking at Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, but we're listening to Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson or Andrew Huberman or Brene Brown or Jocko Willenick, or David Goggins, or Tony Robbins, or whoever your self-help influencer is. Chris Williams, that's a new popular podcast. Modern Wisdom, it's even called. And then what Christians often do is we like have that as the base, core, primary voice in our lives, and then we tack a couple verses on top of that. We go, that's Christianity. No, Scripture gives us a better and more holistic approach. Again, the It's not against gaining knowledge and listening to various voices that are out in the world. I I name all of those names because I've listened to every single one of them at some point in time. But what is the primary voice? What is the North Star for you, for, for us? And how many of us know that you can gain 
all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have the skill to apply it, we're just on a hamster wheel of our own stupidity. And again, I say that first looking at the mirror. Having all the knowledge, all the information, but living like a fool. We need God's help. And the posture of the heart is where that production begins, and it is called the fear of the Lord, this reverence, this awe. If nothing else, the fear of the Lord is simply saying, God, you are God, and I am not. So I surrender and submit myself to your way, to your word, to your will in this world today. I'm going to shape my life not according to my desires or the streams of culture today, but according to what you say is best. And that's what Proverbs leads us into. And so in reading scripture and following Jesus today, there ought to be things that feel maybe right to ourselves, but when scripture contradicts or says that's not the best, that, that there is that conflict and we choose to surrender to Christ, that our flinches, our desires, and our understandings will be reshaped and reformed by the entirety of the story of Scripture. And there we trust, we follow, we listen, we chew, we learn, we debate, we discuss. We do that in the context of community with one another. And so in Proverbs, there are some invitations and warnings. First, the invitations of Proverbs is a posture of fearing God in leading us towards a good life. Again, scriptures would say blessed, whole, a shalom-like life. And the warnings in it are many. And those warnings have to be heeded that there is a force in our world. There is a force of an enemy, a devil and his minions, Paul would say that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, that there's a realm unseen that is a force that is working against God's will in the world. And then we have to reckon that we have this thing called the flesh that we are still at battle with. We have to recognize, and Proverbs is consistently warning us that there's a ton of trajectories that lead towards death. There are voices in ourselves, there's voices in the world that, that would go against God's way. Jesus says in John 10 that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And in scripture, and if you read Proverbs, the, the writers of scripture have that much more on the front of the, their brains than we often do. We just tack things up to being a material world or not getting our way, whatever. And, and, and the writers of scripture say, no, there's a force at work in this world that is against God's will and way. And we need to be aware of that. But then there's a path that leads towards life, towards wholeness, towards flourishing. And the invitations there are many. You could probably encapsulate the invitations of Proverbs into one of my favorite sections in chapter three, verse five through eight, where it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That's the path that Proverbs leads us in. And if you're anything like me, it's a little bit of a a reminder that it's something that needs to be chewed on, meditated on, reflected on, and then implemented into life. But I'm thankful that Proverbs isn't the end of the book. It's a part of the book, but it's not the end. We, we see the wisdom of God on display through these Proverbs sayings, riddles, all of this that we uh, can ponder, chew on, reflect on. But then what we see is the story unfolds. And as Proverbs was written, it was looking forward to one who would come and would confront the evil forces of the world that would offer redemption and salvation and healing to God's people. And we see that the wisdom of God that created all things then enters into creation. Not simply is theoretical, not simply as some ideas, not simply as kind of a a chicken soup for the teenage soul, uh, but Jesus enters in and he continues to invite and warn. He offers fools a path towards life and wholeness in following him. He teaches, he promises, he shows the wisdom of God at work in the world. Jesus is the wisest person who ever lived. And what does he do? He invites us towards wholeness. How? In following him. His rule, his reign, his kingdom. In fearing and following. And if you look at it, you go, really, God? Of all the ways that we can think of that salvation might come, you decided to become a baby and grow and live and preach and heal and die and rise again and send your spirit and form a church and send your people out that would also invite people like, really? Well, to that, Paul would say this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast 
in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so we see in Jesus the wisdom of God on display that is still inviting, that is still calling, that is still um, welcoming us to learn from him. And so instead of seeking our own way, creating our own paths, we can go to see and settle into the source of all wisdom, who is Jesus. That we don't have to uh, create some sort of Frankenstein of our own imaginations of how might life work best today. We can go to communicate with, abide in Christ and with his people and see his plan unfold before our very eyes. And so the path is the same. It is trusting, relying, and following the beauty and simplicity of Jesus. And what we find there is that, yes, life as it always has been is complicated, but Jesus simplifies much of it if we trust, if we follow, if we fear him. Let's pray. And so, Christ, we thank you that you came and that you invite us in to learn and live in your wisdom. And when we're honest, we confess, God, we need it. And so would you, in these next few weeks, as we uh, look towards your word and see how you uh, both perfect and embody wisdom, that you would lead us in that path that you would help us to navigate life well with your word, trusting your way, seeking your will. And so as we respond now, would you continue to shape us and form us into the image of your son? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.